0: Australian Broadcast Radio. A Centenary Celebration. Hello everyone. Today is November 22nd and we mark our 22nd of 23 interviews today with our special guest, Andrea Ho. Andrea Ho is the discipline lead of radio and podcasting at the Australian Film, Television and Radio School. Andrea is a guide to those like myself who are beginning their time in the radio industry, and her work history is more than sufficient to do that. Today I sit with Andrea and hear what she has to say about radio's history and her own. Here's what she had to say. Alrighty, so we're we're nearly there. We're so close. We're very close, boys. But we continue on. We have Andrea Ho here from the Australian Film Television Radio School. Hello, Andrea. Hi,
1: there, Stuart. Nice to meet you.
0: Lovely to meet you as well. Thanks for talking to me. I, I do appreciate it. Straight into questions. My first thing I wanted to ask you was, you've got a long history of radio and you've got a long like work history, I want to say, and you've had a lot of experience. And there's been a focus... Recently at least on education as well. You can obviously probably draw from your time as a presenter from the ABC and you know all over you know production managers station managers stuff like that. I want to ask you while you're in education currently, what do you think has been the greatest lesson you've either learned either through your experience or that you've sort of taught?
1: Yeah, it's an it's an interesting question when you spend a lot of time in radio to consider what the biggest lessons are. So I'm going to name two. The first one for me as a broadcaster and as a station manager has been very much about the connection of the audience to radio content, radio output. The, The fact that people who listen have a very intimate connection in a way that they don't with other media. And I think it's something that if you describe to people how that one-on-one relationship is made and grows, they understand it intellectually, but when you make that connection in radio as a broadcaster, it's really special. So that, yeah, that feeling of, um, or that understanding firstly, about the way most people listen to radio. It's uh, usually something that you listen to in the car, and there might be you, there might be you and one other person, or you might listen to it at home in your kitchen, in your lounge room, maybe even in your bedroom, it's the first thing that comes on if you're an old-fashioned person with a clock radio, or it's um, perhaps something that you put on your your snooze on your phone before you go to bed to help you go off to sleep. So you might be listening to it in the dark as you drop off. And all of these situations that we describe are quite intimate. So the idea of broadcasting that you are you know sending your voice out to many, many people, broadcasting. Mm. Is, is a correct representation, but it's not a true one in many ways. The true representation of what we do is one to one. I'm talking to you and sure. I'm talking to every other individual person. And to me, that was a big lesson to learn. It's like, hey, are you out there in radio land. It's actually, hi, Stuart. Right, how
0: are you I see. I'm taking and mental that's... notes at this point, frankly. <laughs> yeah, good.
1: It's, uh, it's really important for your radio career. So for me, that was a very big lesson to learn when I started on air in radio. And it's one that i've always tried to teach other broadcasters as well the second big lesson for me is actually one for the industry and that is that we as an industry tend to be a bit conservative and a bit slow to pick up new things so whether that's um, new technology ai and so on we are surprisingly habit driven we think we're quite innovative and in many ways we are but the nature of the way radio is made is also quite habit driven So uh, we sometimes take a while to change and we often need to see how other people do it um, before we do it ourselves. And one of the ways in which it was very surprising to me was that um, in radio, we don't necessarily reflect the, uh, the diversity of the Australian community as we are today. So it took us a long time, for example, in radio, to include women, which I find fascinating because in mm. Australia, of course, women are actually more than half the population, believe well, it or not.
0: Well, exactly. I, I, I thought it was, it's been very interesting speaking from like to trying to find women's perspectives in radio. Cause I feel like amongst the people I was trying to find and talk to for my project here, it seems like there was much more some, sort of men with the history and then a lot of yeah. women kind of got put to the side, I suppose.
1: Correct. And the strange ways in which women were treated when they came into the industry. So mm. um, I have, a colleague for example who worked for a very famous broadcaster and she was only allowed to wear a skirt to work i had a boss who's only sort of about 15 years older than me and when she first started in radio she was the only woman in her office And she was working uh, in a regional area and expected to go out to farms. And so one day she came to work with a pair of trousers on and she was sent home to change into a skirt. So these things are totally within living memory uh, by people who are still working in the industry today. So that's one example. Uh, Another example is how many people do you see, um, you know, of uh, culturally diverse diverse background? Mm. What about people with disabilities? And so on. So we we don't represent the community in the way that we should if we want to have that intimate and genuine connection sure. with people where they really understand us so you see how the two link together so those are two big things that i've learned and i try and um, transmit uh, if you like um, mm. through uh, my teaching whether that's um, at school or otherwise
0: well true and it's, it's interesting you mentioned those because these must be great lessons because obviously you're the discipline lead for radio and podcasting at you know uh, afters as i'm going to call it and i realize obviously there must be a lot of great lessons that you have to teach it's why there are school and these lessons are pretty earnest obviously i feel like you have to really sincerely teach them i feel like having these thoughts in mind and obviously having to try and create a curriculum for example must be difficult but is it ever really a difficult task to help lead you know generations of people you know kind of like my age or even sort of any age really you know whether it's school leavers or people getting into it is it ever difficult to try and sort of lead that charge of new radio talent
1: such an interesting question because it's one it's one that's quite live in my mind i had to grapple with it uh earlier this year because that was when i started teaching it after so i only started in 2023 but as you rightly point out as a pd and as a station manager it turns out that in retrospect i did a lot of teaching um in that way if you like Uh, so it was some coaching air checks that kind of um one-on-one development that you do with your talent all Mm. the time so i brought a lot of what you might call um teaching skills with me and yes when i was in community radio and ran a couple of different student radio stations uh, you know we were teaching students by the by the hundreds at that time Mm. so is it difficult i think you have to be careful and thoughtful about the way that you frame ideas and the way that you impart them because two things, you need to make sure that the idea that you're trying to impart comes across, or really three things, two things, three things. You need to make <laughs> sure that the idea that you want to impart comes across clearly, that you aren't misrepresenting uh, what you're trying to, to say and what you're trying to get other people to understand. So firstly, you need to think about your own framing and how you do that. Right. Um, secondly, uh, you need to really be thinking about the value of what it is you're saying. I mean, is, is that thing actually, Uh, valuable for the students that you're teaching or is it just some sort of you know in inverted commas received wisdom that got taught to you right
0: sort of anecdotal
1: passing on yeah without evidence or just because it's always been done this way you know Mm. you do really need to to consider that and say what's of value what do I need to throw out and need to innovate with so those are very big questions that you need to ask and then I think the third thing um, is you know is actually listening to your students because they will question you and if you're not in the business of being questioned and having your ideas challenged then you really shouldn't be in the business of teaching you can learn as much if not more from your students than you can teach them because you are sending them out into an industry which is not static but which is dynamic and changing all the time so the way audience relates to uh, media, not just um, radio or audio, um, but the way that um, the audience members relate to other media determines how they relate to to radio. Uh, What what innovations are coming to your industry? So podcasting is uh, a growing area, and I think it's going to, in a very short period of time, overtake linear broadcasting. But will linear broadcasting go away? I'm not sure that it will. It may just um, become a refined thing, but Mm. really that's determined by audience behavior. And so, on and so on and so on. There are so many of these kinds of questions and paths. So your ability to be a good teacher, at least in part, relies on your ability to be a good listener mm. and think about what you're hearing. So it's not difficult, but there are certain skills that perhaps you do need to cultivate to be uh, an effective teacher. And one of those, I think, is perhaps to be a lifelong learner. So for some people that may not be easy. I enjoy it and I'm fortunate that way.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned, you've sort of preempted my next thought, which is that considering the things you've brought up, like cultivating skills and the sort of, you know, experience that you sort of have, I suppose, I was thinking about when I was writing these questions, how you've had a lot of experience, you know, managing a few different places, you know, been a content director, X, Y, Z, and I think about obviously your time as an educator, and I feel like in my mind, I suppose, and feel free to correct me on this, but I feel like there would be... A fair bit of crossover, I suppose, in that obviously, it's like you said, listening. In a manager position, you have to listen to what people say to be able to make the most valuable product or, you know, you know, streams line service or what have you. But then as an educator, to be able to provide the best education, you also have to be able to listen and receive in that same way. So I guess my question is that considering your experience as a manager and an educator, would you say that they're fairly congruent?
1: I think that they are. I do think that there is overlap. What um, what teaching though at an ed, uh, an institution like Afters does, is it forces you to formalise your teaching and to be more methodical in your teaching. And I think that there, for me, at this point in my career, there's a value in that because I've spent um, a lot of years, as you say, uh, imparting skills and knowledge or you know involved in a skills and knowledge exchange with my my team members my broadcasters you do tend to think about why you do those things but you are doing that in a live environment with um with individuals who are who are practicing so real practitioners in the moment Hmm. to sit down and introduce a new idea to a person who is learning from the ground up and maybe being introduced to that idea for the first time you really have to think through the why in a different way it takes you back to the fundamentals. And that helps you or helps me, I should say that helps me to really um, uh, think of, of the radio uh, and audio that I'm teaching not as something that I'm building on. So this is this is skill set we already have, these yep. are the new things we need to acquire. But to go back to first principles and say, what's the purpose of radio? Mm. Why am I doing this? Why are we doing this? If I have the chance um, not to say, build on things you've already learned, help you to unlearn some things, help you to relearn new things, but to start from scratch, what's the best way to do it? Mm. So that skill is a little bit different, I think. And it allows you to, rather than bolt on new things, which you tend to have to do in, in a workplace institute, here's social media, here's how we might involve video, here's how we might look at storytelling on third-party platforms, here's how we do it in non-linear fashion, here's how we think about podcasting rather than building on top of people's original um, skills and ideas you're actually being able to start from stretch uh, from scratch sorry right. with uh, with new broadcasters and so that is a different way for me to think and it's quite invigorating
0: mm, it seems like yeah the different ways to think uh, you see, there's obviously those different ways to think you mentioned but it definitely does seem yeah it's, it's like those sort of crossovers in terms of that like we said the listening and the i said the expectations i suppose that you have of you know the Not necessarily subordinates, but one better term. People that are sort of listening to you as you listen to them, I suppose. It's all just a sort of cyclical thing, I suppose.
1: I think one of the things that you can learn uh, uh, or cultivate in this industry is a little bit of humbleness. I do think that the industry Mm. does tend towards ego, which is, you know, perfectly fine. Because you do need an ego to be able to get on the radio every day. You can't Mm. open up a a mic and expect people to uh listen to you and think to yourself that you have something to say to them which is a value unless you've got some ego so ego is absolutely healthy in our industry and it's necessary (laughs) but too much ego even a little bit too much becomes exclusive of the listener you can't sit and speak and be good company with your listener if you've got too much ego so there is a fine balance between the two Mm. and that's the thing i do like to try to teach um students and talent both Um, talent itself is a a problematic word i think um broadcasters producers, people who are making content but it is a thing to to practice as well um you know that that sort of um balance between the two so that that humbleness. Um, there are many ways to that, but you know things like listening, mm. listening with an open mind, um, listening with curiosity, uh, allowing others to speak first, um, not correcting other people, but thinking about the ideas that they've presented to you. All of that helps to create that that basis of humbleness, which mm. then opens you to personal growth and professional growth as well,
0: well. I think exactly. I agree. I once. It reminds me of a quote I once heard. Um, it was actually from a presenter, a long time presenter up in Southeast Queensland, named John Knox. He told me a quote, anyone can talk, but it's how you talk, especially in radio. And I think it can translate as well. Anyone can listen, but it's how you listen as well. And I think the two working in tandem is how you sort of, I don't know, progress, I suppose. Mm, Mm. Indeed.
1: And, you know, while we're on the subject of um, of pearls of wisdom, may I offer one which um, which I use often and I I need to ascribe it to its correct source. So this is from Valerie Geller. um, Oh, yes,
0: I know uh, Valerie.
1: You, you'd be aware of Valerie Geller, a um, radio guru um, mm-hmm. and uh, and coach of many decades uh, mm. based in the United States, but she's worked around the world. And this one, I think, is true for any kind of storytelling, but particularly true for radio because of that intimacy that I mentioned earlier, that intimate connection with your audience. Um, thinking about your audience is one person plus one person plus one person. Mm. Valerie asks all radio broadcasters to tell the truth, make it matter and never be boring. And if you can do those three things, you will, one way or another, have a program which connects with your business.
0: That's an interesting point. It's actually very
1: good good advice for the barbecue, frankly. (laughs) I
0: was about to say, as as well as before, I'm taking mental notes. I'm silently writing this down for my own education. Um, But yes, I also, we have a textbook at our own university as a little side note. But anyways, that's a really good pearl of wisdom. I, I really do appreciate that. But I will go on a quick... One quick tangent, if I may, we were talking about a managerial sort of experience before, and I wanted to bring up the fact that for a brief stint in 1998 and 1999, you were the station manager of 2UNE, obviously Tune Uh FM, um, over at the University of New England. Now, I was really interested to speak to someone about that, because obviously, that's the first university radio station sort of in the country. And I thought that was a really interesting sort of note to bring up, especially considering that our own Phoenix radio, we have our own little sort of reputation in the sort of Springfield, Ipswich area, which is where we're sort of broadcasting. And it's interesting to try and see the... Ways that university radio and, you know, sort of, you know, either talkback or commercial radios, you know, may operate, for example. And I just wanted to see from someone who's obviously managed that, like directly, and obviously had experience of, you know, outside of that in your education and other management and what have you. What would you say about university radio and maybe not only the role, I should say, it plays in, in education, but obviously acting as its own radio entity?
1: For me personally, the impact of uh, community radio on campus was profound. Uh, And I mean that um, in the most sincere way. So when I was studying uh, journalism at RMIT, which I did, Mm -hmm. um, I came into the idea of journalism as a career with uh, very little background or guidance uh, in a family or schooling sense. Um, This wasn't something that my family had ever been involved in. And um, I came from a, uh, a lower socioeconomic area, so it wasn't something necessarily that um, that we were taught to aspire to. Sure. Uh, so the idea of journalism was pretty amorphous um, as these things go. So I turned up to uni with the idea that I might write um, features perhaps for a newspaper. That would be my end goal. Maybe I might be on television, but probably unlikely. You know, <laughs> the people who are on television, you look in the mirror, you go, oh, one of these things is not like the other one. Mm. I really didn't think much about radio at all. And then one day during first year, one of my um, fellow students came into class and said, hey, did you know there's a student radio station on campus? Um, let's all go check it out, which we did. Ooh. And I don't know, I, I went there and it was, like, it was like some kind of little light bulb went off in my head and in my heart and that radio station was sra student radio association at rmit it later became one of the um consortium members of syn fm in melbourne so i um, volunteered at that station i we we set up a little news service for that station and then i went on to manage that station through here Mm. So in fact, that was the first student radio station I managed. Then I went to work at um, 3RRR Melbourne and I worked there for four years. Uh, It was my primary employment and it used to be the student radio station on campus at RMIT before it got a full broadcasting licence and moved off. And then after that, I went and managed Tune FM to UNE as it was then uh, for 18 months. So for the largest part of the first 10 years of my radio broadcasting life, I actually worked in not just community radio, but community radio that was connected in one way or another with campus radio. So I really mean it when I say the effect on me was profound. Hmm. Now, community, uh, so campus radio serves two functions. I mean, it serves the function, as you say, of um, of being uh, a, a place where students can come and learn the skills hands on, but also a transmitter of information to students. And I think that in both cases, um, it can be uh, it can be really important. And I think in a third way as well, there's a middle space between the two. So very often this is the biggest space for me in many ways. Very often there are people who come to the student radio station who aren't studying media or journalism, because that's actually most of who's on campus. They're the engineers, they're they're studying law, they're studying um, nursing, they're studying Greek, whatever it is they're studying. But they turn up because they want something fun to do. You know, they're they're not going to the the karate club or the hiking club or whatever. They're coming to the student radio station. So um, those people end up learning the skills that you teach them, they broadcast on air, they share information with their fellow students about what's going on on campus, um, in the music scene, in popular culture, whatever. And then they go on to do other things in their lives, but they bring that experience with them. So I'm in touch with um, students Mostly, actually, from U and a, um because you know, sort of social media came, on, uh, came along not long after that, and we were able to stage. But with some people as well from um, from SRA, you know, I think what's interesting is that most of them didn't go on to have careers in radio, but they went on to have a lifelong love of radio, mm. and they went to carry with them a lot of skills that they learnt in radio about how to interact with other people, how to work in teams a love of popular culture and music, which they either brought with them to the radio or they learned at the radio. Uh, A bunch of other things, what it's like to work to deadline, what it's like to work um, in limited resources. So I think that the effect of um, a student radio can be very meaningful to many people, many participants in many different ways. Mm,
0: I think that's a very fair point. And I I, I really appreciate your experience sharing because I feel like I had a very similar experience myself. I had, um, I was sort of studying at a different university and then a friend of mine was doing a, a radio course and it was very interesting to see because I kind of started guest you know appearing on every once every you know few months and then and eventually sort of progressed you know once a month you know once a week and then I'd be there all the time and it was just it was really interesting and I just got a point where it, similarly I think a light bulb sort of flashed in my brain and it just kind of it takes you over doesn't it it really just kind of you feel it you feel it in your sort of bones like being here and you know being a part of this sort of one-on-one community, which seems sounds counterintuitive, I suppose, but it really, it really just it snaps something in you, I suppose. It's so I'm I'm really relieved to hear that someone's had a very similar experience. someone's so successful as well.
1: Yeah, I think anyone who's been and enjoyed their time in campus radio feels this to mm. a greater degree. And it's interesting how we've uh, ended up, even in a short chat, identifying that sympactico, <laughs> which is really nice, I reckon. Um, exactly. But, uh, but, you know, I think that that's one of the things is, is another way to put it is um, campus radio. It's a certain kind of person who turns up, you know, we're a little bit nerdy, we're a little bit interested in stuff. We yeah. kind of like to tell stories. You find your tribe. And there's something very powerful about finding your tribe, finding other people who are otherwise very different than you, but you've got this in common and it's wonderful. And so I think that if it's something that speaks to you, or if you turn up there and you didn't expect much, but you find that it's a thing that you really connect with, um, lean into it. You know, there's a lot of um, transferable skills that you can learn in a place like radio. Uh, and we've mentioned some of them now there are plenty of others so if um if someone listening really has kind of awakened something in your heart or in your head go check out your campus radio station go and try it out and go and hang out there for a little bit don't expect it to necessarily click on day one but maybe Hmm. on day day 10 or week two or week 10 it'll be the thing where you go i can't believe i'm doing this how lucky am i exactly And, um, and lean into it
0: exactly the subtle plug for phoenix radio if you're listening i also will digress from my own sort of vanity for a second and ask you the my last question for you which is um the three line i've got for all my sort of interviewees that i've asked so far considering your history in radio and you've had quite obviously a history obviously in a lot of experiences and in that university sense with your history what do you think you could use to perhaps look forward in time and foresee the future of radio
1: Well, future casting is always an interesting thing. I feel like after Mm. 10 years, you should dump the tape because whatever we said was wrong. So let me start with with that caveat, I suppose. Look, a lot of us are looking forward to say, um, again, um, how is the industry going to change? Uh, People think about it often in terms of technology. Mm. what um what uh, um, third-party platforms are we receiving audio from what ai is coming in and all of those things absolutely factor there's no doubt about that but one of the great things that was repeated over and over particularly when i spent a lot of years working at the abc was how is the audience going to continue to connect with audio content that we make mm. and that's what's going to end up driving the changes to the industry The trick is always to try and be surfing the tip of the wave rather than kind of be on the back of the wave or being dumped to stretch the analogy, so to speak. You know, uh, because a lot of the changes that are coming do involve technology and technological changes cost money and involve training and changing of the habits of the people who work for you. So it's actually kind of a complicated equation with many parts hanging off it. So, I want you to keep all of those things in mind. It's mm-hmm. very easy for me, for example, to say, "Look, we've developed into a an on-demand culture. We no longer are that concerned with appointment, reading, viewing, listening, okay, everybody goes and they they you know binge watch. Uh, a series that they want to see on, you know, a streaming service. They don't wait for tomorrow morning's newspaper. They hop online and have a look for the breaking story sure. uh, on, and you know, a news website. Uh, in, the, in the same way, many people don't necessarily want to hear linear radio anymore. They actually want to hear something which is of specific interest to them, hmm. so a podcast, and they want to hear it when they're ready. Like, you know, I'm going out to the gym now. Or I'm going for a jog, so that's when they want to hear it. So mm-hmm. already we've seen profound changes like that, and I can see us going further down that path. So what I can see, though, perhaps, is a bit of a settling at some point there. So I do think that, um, that we're going to see continued growth of podcasting. We'll also see a refinement of podcasting because there's a lot of trash out there right now. And people are wading through a lot of homemade podcasts that are pretty rubbish. So I do think that there'll probably be a rise in podcasting curation. You know, you can see Spotify moving into that space already. Apple's been in that space for a while, although it's been a little bit random. The True. more personalization we achieve with individual audience members, the more personalization we'll see of, of streaming services and therefore recommendation, which is just going to help people to sort through. The millions and millions of podcasts that are out there to find the ones that are most likely to sure. be of interest to them but i think that therefore linear radio will um be thrown into relief for what it's very good for and it's good for two things it's good for breaking news and when we say breaking news not everyone's interested in news until the news affects them so the yeah. most obvious example of that is emergencies when um a fires are burning down the road people aren't interested to wait for the podcast at the end of the week they actually really want to know what's going on now so there's that. The other thing that I think we haven't spent as much time focusing on in radio, but it has always been a selling factor for radio and will remain, is the aspect of company that comes with radio. So back to that um, aphorism by Valerie Geller, tell the truth, make it matter and never be boring. People are increasingly living by themselves. They're increasingly um, lonely. Uh, These are two things that we know statistically through research about Australians today. And people often look to media to provide a degree of company and that – Uh, live interaction with the radio is actually um, a very useful thing. You can't interact with an online service in the same way, at least not yet. Um, You certainly can't interact with a newspaper or a television, but you can interact with radio. Talkback radio was the original social media. I remember giving a talk about that at a radio conference once a few years ago, Hmm. and it's something that we shouldn't forget because it's actually one of radio's great strengths is that we were the original social media, and people can Hmm. build communities on the radio so every so often for example i go back and do a um an on-air shift for abc radio and uh, a couple of their their network programs like um like nightlife um or say a statewide evening program mm-hmm. you'll find that there are regular listeners at those hours who live hundreds and hundreds of kilometers apart but they know each other through the radio they've mm-hmm. created a sense of community so that's a very fine thing At the other end, one of the things we can see coming up very quickly in the future, the future is now pretty much because I've um, seen it in action Mm. uh, in radio stations, is um, AI and Mm. what AI means for for automation in our industry. So we're seeing automation and AI on the rise and what that can do in the best of circumstances is take up dumb jobs, if you like, jobs that are mechanical that can be done easily by a machine so that human beings can get on and do more complex tasks. That can be anything from constructing an ad to constructing talk breaks for voice track stations. Now, people are gonna have a range of different feelings about that. And I appreciate every single one because I think that there's a grain of truth in all of them. But the reality is that it's already here and it's already coming into the industry. So the big change there is at the lower end of the industry, People are going to find that those jobs for humans that still remain, many of them have gone, but the ones that still remain are probably going to disappear. Yeah. And so we'll find that your your bracket jocks, if you like, the ones who go, that was that song that you just heard, here's the time, here's the weather, here's the next song, mm. I think those jobs are going to go and they're going to go fast. Mm. And so the people who for whom creating the perfect, smooth clinical talk break is your thing, you might need to look a a way in which your skill can be used differently in the industry, because I think those jobs are going to go, voice cloning will take you over pretty fast um, and will in some ways take it over better because voice cloning now is is being used to scrape reliable websites for news and to create original thought breaks. So that, that stuff is in experimentation and it won't be too long before it's actually in action. What it does do, though, is it does bring us back to the thing I mentioned a moment ago, which is um, good company and being real and being present for the listener. Mm. Those shifts, while there will be fewer of them, they will become a very high value indeed. So that's where you'll be of use. Another place where you'll be of use is creativity. AI doesn't really create anything new. It creates combinations of the things it's already learned. So brand new things and creativity will be useful in the industry. So those are just a couple of future things that I can see coming. And I'm being a bit cheaty because I said most of them <laughs> are in use now. So it's not too hard to predict a future where you can see it just over the hill.
0: That's okay. No, I totally get it. I think it's it's very fair to try and, um, I think it's fair to have that, uh, you know, early technologies, early stages and. F- it's fair to say that they will, you know, continue on to those sort of later days and just evolve, I suppose, as we always do. Um, I think
1: so. Look for the human in the radio. That's our future.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Speaking of good company, you've been excellent. I really appreciate you talking to me, Andrea, and I thank you. If anyone's interested in obviously learning and you're in the sort of New South Wales, sort of you're in, well, you're in the sort of area, you have online classes as well, I believe. Feel free to look up um, after so the Australian Film and Television Radio School, and Andrea will set you straight. I will. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Stuart. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I want to thank Andrea for talking to me today and being a part of Radio History. Tomorrow, we conclude our journey and finish up the history of Australian broadcast radio. Until then, my name is Stuart Crichton. Thank you all for listening.